Welcome to New Catholic Church. You're listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Daryl Finchley. Well, if you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. We are uh, finishing up this series on covenant. Covenant, man's security and God's guarantee. Covenant is a Bible word whereby it's the demonstration, it's God's guarantee by promise and demonstration that He can be trusted. You know, when you think about it, some people say, man, wouldn't it have been great to live back in the time when Jesus was alive? And wouldn't it have been great to have been with with uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Moses, all those kind of things? You do know that we are the most privileged people ever to live. We have... The opportunity to live under the new covenant, the better covenant, God's better way. In the book of Hebrews, we find the word better 13 times. Better. It says that we have a better hope in 719. It says we have a better covenant in 722. Established on better promises in 86. Delivered by a better sacrifice in 923. That we might have a better and enduring possession, chapter 10, verse 34. And you know this is coming, but it's better. It gets better. There's a guarantee. I've, out of all the messages on the, new, on the covenant that, that I think this is perhaps the greatest, this is the best, this is the most exciting, this is what we've been waiting for. Have I got your attention yet? Okay, there's a guarantee, a personal guarantee to the new covenant. Now, I'm not talking about a limited warranty with fine print. It's a guarantee from one who cannot lie, who won't go back on his word, and it's written down. Now, a guarantee is a defined uh, assurance of a particular outcome or condition. It's a promise or Assurance, especially one given in writing, that attests to the quality or the durability of a product or service. And I can hear everybody saying, yeah, right. I realize that we hear guarantees all the time only to be disappointed, disillusioned, and let's just be honest, disgusted. We've all been disappointed with broken promises, with fine print, with changed minds. We don't read the... We don't read the guarantees, do we? Do you agree to this? Yes. We don't even know what we've agreed to. But you need to hear this guarantee. Look at Hebrews 7.22. So much more. Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. And note that word surety. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. In chaos. In chaos. Surety. This word carries the idea of a guarantor, but even more. It, it has the idea of a bondsman. We think of it, if, if any of you have been in jail and you needed to get out of jail, there is a thing called a bails bondsman. 
who will take your account and he will guarantee, he will pay the bail for you, guaranteeing that you will come back. You will show back up when it's time for the... Anybody want to confess this morning? Some of you know what a bail's bondman is. It's a person who is the personal guarantee of the terms of the court. He guarantees to pay the court if the defendant fails to appear for trial and he will pay the amount ordered by the court. So he is personally responsible for the other person to show up and fulfill the requirements of the judge. And I want you to hear that. Personally responsible. The message translation of verse 22 says this. This makes Jesus the guarantee of a far better way between us and God. Now, most of us read that a far better way to us and God. It didn't say that. It says a far better way between us and God. One that really works. A new covenant. Now the surety is different from a mediator. We had a message in covenant about the mediator. Jesus being the middleman. The mediator is the one who stands in between. And assures that God's standard is right. And that our best is right. And going to be fulfilled. And so he ensures the best for the father. Or God. And the best for man. He's the middleman. He's the mediator. He's the go between. But the surety is not. A mediator here, a surety is one who guarantees that you will keep the covenant. How many of you need that guarantee? Me too. The surety stands personally responsible to see that the covenant is fulfilled. The living Lord Jesus is your personal guarantee that you will fulfill your side of the new covenant with God. I heard somebody say it. Thank you, Jesus. Well, what does... What does this mean? So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to walk through one verse of Scripture. Verse 25 of Hebrews 7. One verse of Scripture. And it's going to be a lot of Greek. I'm not doing the Greek in order to impress you. I've been practicing pronouncing it. I'm not going to do it to try to impress you. But what I want you to do is I want to take every word apart so that you see what God is saying and then put it all back together again. All right? Hebrews 7.25 says this. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Therefore, points back to the reality that in Hebrews chapter 7, it's telling us that Jesus is the great high priest, that he's in a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, that is not according to the law, but it's according to the oath of God, that God has set him aside a priest. And that priesthood, not like the priesthood under the law, the Levitical priesthood, where, where those priests ministered every year, and, and every year had to keep going, and, and they could die, and their priesthood could end, Jesus' priesthood never ends. It continues forever. Therefore, because He is in this enduring priesthood, therefore, He is able to save. Look at that word, save. 
What in the world is saved? You see, most of us, when we think it's a religious word now, it's become a religious word that has been batted around so long that the lifeblood of the reality has long been squeezed out of it. It's like uh, salvation's been like a lemon and we've got every bit of it out of it. You understand? It no longer means what it used to mean. When we think of saved, we're saying, are you going to heaven when you die? Saved is, well, I've got my ticket. Saved is, I've asked Jesus to forgive me. Saved is what I've done. I've confessed my sin. I've called upon the name of the Lord. I've done all these things. And we think, well, now, yeah, that's what saved is. Well, the word saved literally means to be rescued. It means to be recovered. The idea is like a man that was drowning I remember a time getting in a place in a position in a lake where I didn't know if I was going to get out. And I can't tell you the the panic you feel when you think you're going under. The idea here is the salvation is the, the, the rescuing out of peril. It is getting you out of something that is going to destroy you. It's getting you out of something that will not just kill you. Literally, it will annihilate you and who you are and what you... The whole idea is in in peril, danger. He is able to save. Save means to rescue. It also means to make whole, to, to, to put you back together again. It means to preserve, to deliver from demonic... Deliver from Satan's stronghold in his hand. Deliver from the power of death. Here's what it's saying. Salvation, it means that Christ Jesus didn't come to put a band-aid on the situation. He didn't come to cover it temporarily. He didn't come to patch man up or make him better. He came to completely change the situation now and forever. Not to make man better, but to make men over. But can Jesus really do that? When we look around and we watch, even in church, can Jesus really save the way that word says save? Can he really deliver? Can he really come through? Can he really make whole again? Can he put the pieces back together? Can he really get us out of what's tearing us up? You understand what he's saying? And he said, he is able. He is able. The word is dunamai. You might be familiar with dunamis, where it says the Holy Spirit will come. And when he comes, he will come in power. He he will give you power. Power. Power is dunamis. But here's the word dunamai. It means to have intrinsic and inherent ability to achieve. Jesus is able. He has the inherent and and intrinsic ability to achieve salvation. Now, for most of my life, I thought salvation depended on me, on my decision, on my goodness, on my faithfulness to my decision, and on my performance according to my decision. I learned from the New Covenant, salvation doesn't depend on me or my ability, but upon Jesus and His ability. Now, how able is He? 
It's not going to be on the screen, but Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, tells us that you he made alive who was dead in trespasses and sin, who walked according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. We all conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. So let me ask you a a question. How much ability does it take to deliver a dead man? Or how how much does it take to deliver somebody who is habitually walking according to the course of this world, according to the the enemy's power, the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience? How hard is it to 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 deliver somebody from the lust of the flesh, or from the desires of the flesh, or of the mind? How much does it? How much power does it take to deliver from the wrath of God? How much ability? That's the, what it's talking about. That Christ is able. He has the inherent ability to achieve and deliver from death, from sin, from its habit, from its presence, from its power, and from demonic stronghold, from every aspect. He is able to save, to deliver, to put back together, to make whole. The word is in present tense, meaning that he is continually able to deliver, save us with unlimited strength. Well, how does he do it? Since he ever lives. That's what I want you to look. Since he ever lives. He always lives. Pantoti zeo. I have a Bible program that pronounces the Greek for me, and I've been practicing. Pantoti zeo. Pantote here, it means ever, at all times, forever, time without end. He always lives. That word is zeo. It means to exist. It doesn't mean just to be alive. It means living. It means life in himself. It is literally talking about God's quality of life. That Jesus Always lives. He's ever alive. It's not that Jesus saved us from our past sins, faults, or failures, but that He is presently saving us by His resurrected living and enabling. I'm going to slow down, get my breath. Jesus Christ is living and lives forever. He didn't, listen to me, you've got to get this. He didn't just die for us. He lives for us. It's, it's okay for us to focus on the death of Jesus. And truly, the crucifixion is an essential truth. Sin was paid for. Death was swallowed up. The enemy was defeated on the cross. But listen to me, don't have the cross apart from the resurrection. The reason that the cross is is sufficient is because Jesus is alive. See, it's so easy us to so easy for us to focus on the sacrifice, the debt, the payment, all of that, and not realize that those things alone don't save you. It's the living Lord Jesus that saves you. It's not a prescription that saves you. It's a person. 
lives. He always lives to save. And he's able. It's not just the crucifixion, but the Lord Jesus who was crucified and risen from the grave. It was the resurrection that declared him to be the Son of God with power, with dunamis, to save. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. Listen to that. He didn't say, because I died, you shall live. He said, because I live, you shall live. He did die, but he lives. I serve a risen Savior. It's going to get better. Why? He always lives to make intercession. Intunkano. Isn't that good? Intunkano. It means to meet, to appeal, to entreat. And then it means to intervene. Intervene means that he, he steps in to make something happen. He steps in to plead a cause. He steps in to, to make a way. He doesn't just... See, when I hear intercession, I think of prayer. Well, Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is praying. Listen, Jesus is praying for you, but he's not praying as in the sense of a little mamby-pamby petition. He is praying. He is literally going to the Father on your account and saying, Father, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I will be in him everything that you've expected of him. I'll do it. I will intervene. I ever live. I'm always, forever, I will be alive and active and I will do it. Man, we need to hear that. How many of you ever said, well, I just can't do it. I just can't live it. I, I, I tried. I just can't do it. The Father says, Father, don't listen to them. Listen to me. I'll do it. He's our bondsman. He's the one who stands right there. He's got the Father's ear by reference of His own righteousness, by reference of His own own reality of His resurrection life, of His payment, yes, but of His resurrection life. I will do it. He ever lives to make intercession, to intervene on our behalf to the Father. I don't know. I've had a lot of lawyers. No, I had not had any lawyers. I almost lied preaching. I've seen a lot of TV lawyers. You you know, there's the Perry Masons and they're you know, they're good lawyers. But I'll tell you something, there's nobody that can be an advocate like Jesus can. I'll do it. I'll do it. He always lives to make intercession. Now listen to me. He is constantly and continually pouring out God's grace upon us and empowering us and keeping us and delivering us from Satan, the world, and even from ourselves. And yet at the same time going to the Father and saying, I'll do it. I'm I'm empowering them. I'm gracious to them. I'm paying the price. I'll do it. Father... Don't hold it against the, I'll do it. 
You understand what he's saying? It's the Father that sees in the Son the sufficiency of what's required of us. Folks, you just can't believe how good it is. He's able to save because He always lives to make intercession. And He's able to save to the uttermost. Panteles. It has a double meaning. It speaks of the completeness of the work. He's able to completely save. And at the same time, it speaks of the duration of the work. He is able to completely save to the uttermost forever to the uttermost. That's how capable He is of saving us. It's not just a partial salvation or a hopeful salvation. It's not a possible salvation or an almost salvation. He's able to save to the uttermost. All the way and completely. Now and forever. To the uttermost. Yay God. Thank you Jesus. Christ will not just save us and then leave the rest up to us or to anybody else. He lives to save us completely and forever. It also means that whatever hindrances or difficulties lie in the way of the complete salvation of believers, the Lord Jesus is fully competent and continually carries out the work of deliverance unto completion forever. No matter what opposition may arise, he's more than sufficient to cope with it and overcome it all. Combining the two meanings, a complete salvation is a never-ending one. And Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. God, I'm not worried about my future. Jesus has me covered. He's able. He's able to save completely forever. But notice this. To those who come to God through Him. These words define who are the recipients of this complete salvation. The word come is prosekomai. Pros excuse me. It means to draw near, to embrace. It kind of has the idea of worship, to consent. Now, don't you listen to me? This salvation to the uttermost is not promised to those who come to church. Or who come to be baptized, or who come to do their best, or who come to make a decision. But those who come to God. The word literally means to face to God. Face with God. Who comes to God? Let's just be honest. When do you really turn to God? When you've turned to everything else and it has failed you. Right? Well, I've got to pray about it. Well, has it come to that? We've tried everything else we can. And now we're just going to... Well, God, I guess I'm just going to have to trust you. Duh.
You see, this promise, this surety, this guarantor, Jesus, is available and is going to complete that uttermost salvation for everyone who comes to God through Him. It's the qualification. And usually we come when we find ourselves helpless and hopeless and exposed and lost. One of the most tragic scriptures found in the Bible is John 5.40. It follows John 5.39 where Jesus said, You usurp the scriptures and you think that in them you have life. But they are they which speak of me. And then he said the saddest words, But you won't come to me that you might have life. Come to Jesus. And we, as we come to Jesus, you see, that's what we see is we are the, the Father, as He lifts up the Son, draws all men unto Himself. But we've got to respond. We've got to come to, G, to God through Jesus. We've got to come. Well, what does that mean? It means to acknowledge God is who He says He is. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It also means that you acknowledge his lordship, his right to be God in your life. It's turning from your way and accepting his way. It's not making him another deal. God, if you'll come through for me, I'll do this. That's not coming to God. That's bargaining. It's coming and consenting. He's God, and you're not. It's coming to the place where you can embrace Him for who He is as the God of all flesh, that there's nothing too hard for Him. It's turning from your way and accepting His way. It's casting the whole weight of your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, upon Him, trusting that His love and His life is sufficient, His living is sufficient to deal fully and finally with your sin and with your failure. As glorious as this truth is, Here's the qualification. You've got to come. He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him. So the question is, have you come to God? I'm not saying, have you come to a decision? I'm not saying, have you come to the end of your rope? I know, you know, you can come to the end of your rope by hanging yourself. It's coming to the end of your rope and turning to God. It's coming, it's, I'm not saying come find hope in God, I'm saying come find God. You see, it's a person who saves, it's not a principle, it's not a theological project, it's not a prescription. And He is able to save to the uttermost. He's a personal guarantee that when you come to God, He's going to finish what He started in you. Here's the good news. You will finish what you started in Christ. He's your personal guarantee. Say, preacher, that's just too good. No, it's better. You see, God knows you better than you know yourself. How many, how many times have you made a promise and didn't keep it? Anybody want to count? Listen to me. Not all will be saved because not all will come. 
If you think by your performance you can save yourself, well, I'm just as good as those so-and-so. I'm just as good. If you think that's going to save you, good luck. Because God doesn't deal with luck. He deals with love. He so loved you, He gave Himself for you in order that He might give Himself to you in order that you might fulfill the covenant. Can I be sure? You know, I've got all these guarantees. And let me just tell you, I'm just kind of skeptical of anything that says guarantee. You know, guarantee means bondsman. Do you, you know when a bail's bondman doesn't get his wife? He gets a bounty hunter. You know who the bounty hunter is in Scripture? The Holy Spirit. You think you can turn away from God? Good luck. Jesus sends the bounty hunter after you. And he loves you so much, he ain't going to let go until he pushes you through. He's going to finish what the Father and the Son started. He's there for you. He's going to fill you up and flow through you in ways that you never dreamed of when you finally come to God through Christ. So we have a bales bondsman, that's Jesus. We have a bounty hunter, that's the Holy Spirit. Well, can I be sure? Let me ask you, what else do you need? Well, give me a promise, preacher. Okay, let me give you a promise. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man, so he does not lie. Did you hear that? God's not like us. You might ought to get a hold of that. He's not like us. If you think God is like your father, get over it. If you think God is... Some big mean God up in the, that's out to get you. You've got a whole misconception. God's not like us. He does not lie. He's not human. So he does not change his mind. He has, has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? The answer to that is no. So if God has said this, if we just read it from the book, if God has said this, I even gave you the original language to let you know that God has said this. And if He said this, He's going to do it. Hebrews 6, 18 and 19 in the message says this, God can't break His Word, and because His Word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline. Read those words. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. You can be sure because God is sure. Yeah, but preacher... I I know God keeps His promises, but I don't keep mine. Well, let me give you some Scripture. 2 Timothy 2.13 Even if we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. i got good news for you. God's not depending on you. He's not looking at your bank account thinking... Oh, how are we going to make it? He's not looking at your performance and saying, Boy, if he could only get a little bit better. He is faithful. He's looking to himself. 
to fulfill the covenant. He's looking to his son. He's looking to his spirit to fulfill the covenant. And now they abide in us, both to will and do according to his good pleasure. Let me give you another, Philippians 1, 6. For I am confident of this very thing, Paul says. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. What is the good work? The good work, we think, well, it's just to take us to heaven. No, the good work is to work in us, conforming us to the image of Jesus, that he may present us to the Father, holy, blameless, without fault. Now, is there anybody in here that, that you think that you can get, make it on your own to get to that place of blameless, holy, and without fault? God says that's the way He's going to present you. He's not lying. So what's He going to do? He's going to work in you everything necessary to get those who come to God through Him to get you to the place that when you get there, He's presenting you to the Father in Him, through Him, as holy, blameless, and without fault. Thank you, Jesus. One more. First Thessalonians five twenty three and 24. Message. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole. Now look at that. God makes everything holy and whole. Make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body. And keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. I know y'all not near as excited as I. You must have not. You must not have been in jail, spiritual jail, as many times as I have. If this Christian life thing depends on human ability, we're all beyond help. But that's the whole point. Jesus is my personal guarantor, my bondsman. He will see to it that I fulfill the covenant. He's not just the security deposit of a new contract with mankind. He's the personal substance and reality of the better covenant that God has unilaterally put in place by His grace for all who come to Him through Christ. Then why don't we trust Him? Because we still think it has to do with us. Chris, can you come help me? You remember not too long ago, I preached a sermon at the end of it. I had a a cup and, and had it, and it was about uh, the sin that's still in us. And what the law comes to do is to stir it up. And that's about how we look, Right? And the most we, we try, we can confess it, we can do everything we can, but literally all we're doing and what the law does, and it continues to do it today, it stirs it up and it exposes us. Well, then how am I ever going to be free? What's he going to do in me that's going to free me from sin? What's it going to be that God would literally uh, make me a new creation, be different in me? There's a scripture, it's not going to be on your screen, it's, it's John chapter 7, verse 40. 
Verse 39 says that, you know, if anyone comes to, if anyone's first, he let him come unto me. And then in verse 40, it says, he who believes in me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Out of his innermost being. Where's your innermost being? Come on, answer me. Where's your innermost being? My heart. It's my innermost being. Where does Jesus live? Where's the Holy Spirit reside? Okay. This, though the illustration is going to show me pouring water, I want you to know there's a river inside you. And when you, when the law stirs up the sin in you, when those things are stirred up in your life, what you need to do is not focus on the sin you've just committed, but focus what's inside of you, because what's in you will overflow through you, that what He's going to do is to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It is a process by which God continually flows up and out of you. It's an inside job. It's not, you're not looking for something outside to fix you, outside to, con- to, to deal with you. You're looking for He who lives in you to deal with you. When you sin, stop looking at your sin and start looking at the Savior who's able to save you to the uttermost. He will fulfill the, the, the covenant. He will Make sure you fulfill the covenant. He's washing you and it is a continual process that will never end until He presents you holy and blameless to the Father. Thank you. You understand there's a guarantor. Jesus is guaranteeing that you will be saved if you come to God through him. Well, preacher, what about this and what about that? Why don't you just take it to Jesus? Ask him. Here's my only responsibility to know, to hear, and to respond. Faithful is he who's called me. He'll do it. Well, I've still got this in. There was still stuff left in the cup. But I have an inner river that's still flowing. And so when the law stirs up something new, guess what? I turn to the flow. I turn to the river who is Jesus himself in me by his Holy Spirit. And he washes me again in the word. He washes me again through the, through the Holy Spirit. He's continually working in me both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And let me tell you what. Everybody who comes to Christ who, and, and comes to God through Christ, here's my guarantee according to Scripture. You will be presented to the Father holy and blameless in love. It's yours. Here's the question. Have you come to God? I'm not saying come to church, come to be baptized, come to make a new commitment, come to rededicate your life, come to make a decision. No. Have you really let God be who He is, understand what He's sacrificed what He's given, how Jesus lives now for you to know salvation, to really be delivered, and then you lay the whole weight of your life on Him and you trust Him. You trust Him. And when you get up in the morning, guess what you do? You trust Him. 
When you run into the all hell breaks loose in your life, what do you do? You trust him. You go inside instead of outside. Folks, listen, don't go to the world to find an answer to your problem. Go to the problem solver. You got it? God has done all of this to demonstrate to you you can trust Him. The invitation is real simple. Will I lay the weight of my life on Him? Will I trust Him? And when all hell's breaking loose in my life, will I trust Him? When, every, when the world and when others have made wrong choices toward me, will I trust Him? When it's not working out the way that I've dreamed, will I trust Him? You see, the one who's going to fulfill the covenant is His Son in us and through us. And let me tell you something. When you trust Him, He will fulfill what He's promised. Let's pray. Father, we bless You and thank You. We thank You for the the truth of covenant. We thank You that You have brought it into reality. We're asking you, Lord, this morning that you stir up within us the reality of your commitment to fulfill your word. Lord, we trust you to do it. We trust you to do it. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.